I feel like I've always been an environmentalist. When I was a kid, I worried about animals. I love animals. I love nature. I felt completely connected and tied to nature uh, when I wasn't in a disco. And and then I, we moved to Florida and I would like see the paving of paradise and how things were so quickly changing. And I had some really good teachers that were environmentalists. Um, and then I went to college and in Miami and I spent a lot of time in the Everglades. So I think I was just been always like, and also I'm a good advocate. I think when, so the direction I went in, there was many things you can do as an environmentalist. You can be an ecologist, you can be a scientist, you can be a lawyer, you can be, there's all different ways. You can do business and try to be a good business source, but I am an advocate and I was a lobbyist for years for environmental organizations fighting against corrupt politicians of which there are so many on both sides of the aisle. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am the ho- your host, Jesse Jackson. We're getting off the Bruce train, but I'm sure he will come up as he often does. And I'm talking to my new friend, C.K. Westbrook. C.K., welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. I'm an environmentalist that lives and works in Washington, D.C. I've been a environmentalist. I work for some major famous nonprofits for 20 years. And then during the pandemic, I wrote some novels and I became a science fiction author as well. <laughs> nice. Do you, I guess the question you probably get asked all the time and I apologize, right? Do you weave in all your work with environmentalism on in your fiction? Absolutely. It's science fiction and often science fiction has a environmental issue backstory. Right. And um, so, yes, in that sense, absolutely. Yeah. So I always like to start when I have a writer on the podcast and I will, I'll probably end up asking you both questions. But my first one is, were you raised in a family of readers? Was there a lot of reading in your house? And were you a big reader as a kid? Absolutely. We, my mom would take us to the library like once a week and we would just stack up on books. Reading was absolutely part of our life. And I would read fiction generally as a kid. And my mom was a big mystery reader and she read constantly. And both of my sisters, my dad was always like, newspapers and magazines he doesn't like fiction he didn't like fiction he's passed away but then like also newspapers magazines everything big readers our family Mm -hmm. and so how about music was there a lot of music in your family yes i grew up in an unusual way my dad managed and ran discotheques in the 70s and 80s so i basically grew up in discos he franchised nightclubs that were called 2001 VIPs. Every birthday I had until I was like 14 was in a disco. And they was like, so disco music, obviously, which was also just pop music back then. And then, so music was everywhere. The minute you got in the car, the radio was on, the stereo was on, but it was mostly like disco, pop, rock, 
that kind of music. And also I have to say one thing about being raised in a disco, my birthday party is like all the friends would come and we would light up the dance floor and we look like six, eight, nine year olds doing the same scenes from Saturday Night Live, no, Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta because we had the lights, we had the balls, we had everything. And so, yeah. <laughs> what time period is this? I was born in 1970. So I feel okay. like I was a 70s child. So okay. that would be the whole, all the 70s and then probably until around 82 or 83. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was born in 59. And so I absolutely remember when high school, 75, 76, I graduated high school in 77, the Casey and the Sunshine Band. And I do absolutely remember Saturday Night Fever and this, the first club I went to with my fake ID, petrified they were going to catch me. And it actually had that kind of floor like Travolta had, like the, the lighted floor and everything. And I didn't drink. So I was, I, I just knew that if I walked up and asked for a Coke, they would go, oh, you must be underage. Get the hell out of here. And my buddy like, no, no, I just saw a guy that looks way older than us asked for a straight Coke. So you're going to be okay. <laughs> That's so funny because I remember that from my dad. I was always like terrified that there'd be minors in the club and he would find them and he would send them out. And he would take these pictures and have these old school newsletters about who was dressed so cool and who won the disco competition. And everybody wanted to be in those. And sometimes the winner would be underage and he would be like pulling them back saying, pull, take them off the tables. So that's funny that you thought about that because that was an issue in management's mind all the time. And then here's me raised there. I was the, my little sister was famous for sucking the salt off of all the pretzels that they would put on the bar and then spitting the pretzels back in. <laughs> so it would be like, she became like known as I, that, that don't sit where she sits. But how many little children were in the bar? It was like, we just yeah. grew up. Like, I remember my older sister one time fell off a bar stool and she had to get stitches and luckily there was a bunch of doctors at the bar so they stitched her up they yeah because it was like that bar scene and community but it was disco so it was like everything on steroids that's funny the so do you still have a soft place in your heart for these kind of quote-unquote pop disco songs it's funny, like if it comes on, I don't know Foo Fighters, but they did yeah. a, they they redid the Bee Gees album recently, and I heard it, and it just comes flooding back all these wonderful emotions and dancing and just childhood. And I don't know how many people like their whole childhood is around disco. And my husband hates disco. Like one of the things who's like, oh, disco is so gross, and everyone hates disco. And he was totally more punk, and but it was a movement. It was a fad. It was hugely popular in the U.S. for a really long time. Yeah, and I. Being a child of the 70s, at least for pop culture in high school, I never had that, oh man, Dusko sucks and everything. I I just knew it was good music and it was fun music. And it maybe wasn't trying to change the world, but there's a lot of fun to it and there's a joy to it. So good for you. Um, <laughs> so as you got older and how long did he stay in the, the bar business? He was there just until the early 80s. And then I think he burned out. It's a young man's game. That's what he used oh, to say. Oh, I imagine. And, yeah, it's got to be, right? And then he went into doing totally different things. And my mom, she worked there. She was a photographer. My dad used to claim he created MTV. He would take pictures, again, for his fancy newsletters and his promotions. He was a very good marketing 
person. And my mom would take all these pictures of everyone having a great time. And then they would have these big white screens and she would flash the pictures up of people in the club and they love to see themselves, right? And this was again, very new. And then they would bl blend it with music. So the pictures would go with music, but it wasn't like an MTV video. It was just right. like- people seeing themselves. And, you know, my mom went on to <laughs> work in other jobs as well when she burned out on the club scene. That's nice. So when you hit high school, what kind of music were you listening to in college? Well, back up a little bit. So disco, like I remember Bruce Springsteen always playing, not in the clubs at all, but in the background on the radio, he was just like part of life. And I probably know almost every word because of the the subconscious, like when they come on. But if you ask me like which albums and what order songs, not so much. But I do remember loving one of Bruce's songs in the 70s and discussing it with my dad. And he said he did not like Bruce Springsteen because he said Bruce Springsteen was trying to be Bob Dylan or the Beatles. And to my dad, that was a big insult. That was a diss, right? And I was like, huh. But I still love Bruce Springsteen. I was like, whatever. And then when I was like in junior high and I was like, angsty, that teenage stuff I love the album Nebraska and someone gave me like a cassette of it and I would listen to that all the time because it was like dark and moody and sad I'm probably one of the only people too that would say Nebraska was one of the times that I actually dug in and then I and I again I keep overlapping this with my dad because he was so into no, music that's I totally um, understand that is <laughs> when it doesn't happen I'm surprised so you are good <laughs> So for my birthday, I can't remember what it was, 14th, 13th birthday, I got Born in the USA, an album. And we never really bought music. So we never had money. It was always like played. That's why I'm like, somebody must have given me Nebraska because I don't remember how, where I got it. And I had the Born in the USA album. And I remember my dad being like, oh no. And then I blared that album up like all the time for a really long time. So I feel like I, when was like my Bruce moment? I don't know. I just feel like he's always been part of my life and part of the music that I have to listen to. Uh, yeah, even up until this year. You know what? And yeah, I to pull the curtain back when we exchanged emails, you said you had me at Bruce. So <laughs> I was like, okay, this will be a fun discussion. Yeah, the every once in a while I'll have someone who because I'll ask the question, can you remember when you first heard Bruce's music and what about it spoke to you? But there are a fair amount of people like yourself that Asking that question is, when did you first learn that your parents used Tide washing detergent? It's just, it's not a thing. It's just always been that way. Why do you think you like Nebraska? I just think I was just a dark teenager. And it was like, disco was, very, like you said, it was fun. And there was a lot yeah. of pop music that I loved. And Jesse's Girl, I'm blending decades and stuff. No, I get you. It was like, and this was, I think, one of the first things that I was turned on to that was like sad and it was about like real people's lives and it was a different telling of music. And I would almost not want to say like Bob Dylan, but like, I feel like there was more of a like folk music to it almost. And then, yeah. and I remember like the harmonica always reminded me of like trains going away. It just, it just seems sad and broody yeah. and real. And that was that time. And then, like I said, not even six months, maybe a year later, I got born in the USA. And then I was like all into that, which was a much more, though I know Born in the USA is a dark anti-war anthem, but some of the songs on that album are much more up and yes, there are. fun. Yes, our friends in the Magna crowd do not know what that song means. And that's why they're playing it when 
former President Trump was in the hospital and they're playing Born in the USA. And we're like, do they know what that song means? No, they don't. So have you read Deliver Me from Nowhere, The Making of Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska by Warren Zanes? No. All right. So I'm going to send you a link. It is a brilliant book. He was nice enough to be on my podcast. And it almost reads like a mystery novel, CK. And the premise is, okay, you had the river, first success. They had Hungry Heart, a hit on the radio. They've started, as little Steven said, once you got a hit on a radio, that meant girls started coming to the concert. Right. And then and then Born in the USA takes him to the atmosphere, right? Just out into outer space. So why does he do Nebraska between them? What dread what led him as an artist to take that step back? And he the book explores that. And it's a very well done book. He does get to interview Bruce and they talk about it. And I love that trying to figure out why you needed, he needed to do this introspective, very, in many ways, dark album to almost cleanse himself before going to the, where I think there's seven top, top singles off Born in the USA. Yeah. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, 
you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You did talk about you got to see him this year, correct? Is that the first time you've seen him? No, I've seen him five times before. This was the fifth time. And then we had tickets to all three shows that we considered local. So there was one at the DC downtown, one was going to be at the baseball place, and then one was going to be in Baltimore. And we got to see him at the Cap Arena in DC in March. And then he canceled the two other shows we had tickets to because he's not well, right? But they also rescheduled those for September. And I'll say this, like, my husband, Bruce Springsteen, has always been in his top 10. He's in his number two in the greatest shows he ever saw was luckily one of the ones that I was with him to see, Bruce. So there's like, a he's got a whole different level of, but we came out of the pandemic, like everyone did. And it's like, yeah. these musicians who have just existed and performed and entertained us and been part of our entire lives are older. We're all older now. And we just face this total, like horrifying pandemic So when people come that we want to see, we just put everything down and see them because you just never know. And when I saw him in March, it was a fantastic show. And I'm so happy I was there. And one of his shows, it was a few years ago, and I can't remember which, it might even been like six or seven years, time goes really fast. That was, it was one of the ones that he did the whole album. It might've been Thunder Road. And he, that my husband puts that as like the, the greatest show he ever saw, like of all yeah. shows. And my husband sees it. I, I probably see 10 concerts a year now, but my husband used to see 20. So it's, there's, and he keeps Excel spreadsheets, which I don't. I always just remember how I felt and if I loved it or not. And he's very, he's an engineer. So he's very detailed. I love that so. story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do, tell me your thoughts on, had you listened to Letter to You? before you had gone to the tour that in the covers album had you done some of that no okay i as i'm now giving you homework if you have apple tv they did letter to you is what came out at the end of 2020 and it was him and the band doing a lot of songs together in in verses with the studio at his his there at his ranch and so that's where I'll See You In My Dreams and a couple other of the songs from the album came from. Do what you mentioned how much you love the show. Any highlights, any specific things that stood out to you? Considering I see a lot of shows, he does like these three hour mega performances, right? And yeah. he's so dynamic and he's so sexy. And it's like, they are just amazing. But one of the things that really stood out for me it was one of the years and I saw it, I was on the floor and I had to go to the bathroom like at the end and I like, ran up this thing and I turned around and I all the concession stands people everybody had come down and they were dancing down the aisle during like a jam session at the end of the song and I and Bruce was like come down and like all the staff not security but everybody else came down yeah and I don't know maybe he does that at every show or maybe I never noticed because I was completely focused on, on the show but I thought that was like mind-blowingly kind and supportive and they seemed to really appreciate it. And I had just, I think his, his shows are always outstanding, but that was something that I thought was an extra special touch of his humanity and yeah. kindness and support. So I I had a couple of writers on a couple months ago and we ended up four or five published writers 
and we did a round table. We each brought, I was the only non-writer in the group, but I said, I run the podcast, so I get to be in there. And we each brought three of what we thought were Bruce's best written songs, not his best songs, not his most popular songs, not your favorite songs, but as a writer, if you were judging it, and it was such a great discussion. And many songs like Highway Patrolman from Nebraska, okay, that that goes on there without thinking. That's almost Shakespearean. The that the two brothers and the whole thing. And do you think as an early writer is that another reason why nebraska may have spoke to you because of the storytelling yeah now that you say that i never really thought about it but yeah i love a good story like i said i was a constant reader so yeah and that's way more in depth to that music than again like disco or by high school i was listening to heavy metal and i always pop as well but yeah um and those songs aren't deep. Heavy metal right. is not deep music. Right. Uh, and then even going into punk, which is deep, but again, it's not like a story. It's like yeah. anger and angst shouted out you and with you. So yeah, actually, that's a really good point that I had never really put that connection together. Yeah. So talk to me how you got into the environmental work. That's a good question. I haven't answered that one in a long time. I feel like I've always been an environmentalist. When I was a kid, I worried about animals. I love animals. I love nature. I felt completely connected and tied to nature uh, when I wasn't in a disco. And and then I, we moved to Florida and I would like see the paving of paradise and how things were so quickly changing. And I had some really good teachers that were environmentalists. Um, and then I went to college and in Miami and I spent a lot of time in the Everglades. So I think I was just been always like, and also I'm a good advocate. I think when, so the direction I went in, there was many things you can do as an environmentalist. You can be an ecologist, you can be a scientist, you can be a lawyer, you can be, there's all different ways. You can do business and try to be a good business source. But I am an advocate and I was a lobbyist for years for environmental organizations fighting against corrupt politicians of which there are so many on both sides of the aisle. And the more we've been, our society, our country, and our politicians have been bought by corporations. It's just horrifying what's going on with the environment. For me, I think the root was my love of nature and animals and wildlife, but then that becomes everything. That becomes climate change policy and water policy and air policy. And, oh, and that's definitely in my books. Yeah. Often you'll see different people on social media. If you could change one thing in the world, what would you change? And I always joke about, and only halfway joking, if I could get rid of hypocrisy, I feel like I would just be better. If someone would say, nope, I don't care about the environment. I'm not going to say that I do and then act like I'm not. But similar to, and listeners, if you don't want me to get political, skip ahead five minutes. But the people that 364 days a year, every one of their policies, every one of their actions is everything against Martin Luther King and his vision. But on that day, every politician posts and does a speech about how the dream's still alive and we honor him. And you're like, no, you can't just talk the talk. You, Your actions have consequences and at least sign your name on it. And I just think that would be, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but was that one of the things that frustrates you the most when you're doing that role? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like hypocrisy just infuriates me and it's people have become more comfortable with it and more casual with it. It's, and it's just not, it's not just Martin Luther King day, which is so offensive. It's earth day, right? I don't even really celebrate earth day anymore because it's so many corporations come out and they're like, yay, it's earth day. And same thing, the massive pollution and um, toxic waste all year long. And then what I would say the, the thing to get rid of though, I would almost be more like greed um, because I think the roots of so many problems with these politicians and corporations is just extreme greed. If you could just get rid of greed, I think we would remove a lot of the hypocrisy because it's really damaging on every single level. And I, wow. Even today, the Pope, everyone's oh, we did this New York conferences and we're making progress on climate change. And then ExxonMobil is like, they're doubling down on oil and gas right now. And they're carbon, it's, they, they are our, our drug dealer. They are overlords in this country because they own the politicians. So it, it's just very frustrating. And the Endangered Species Act, which is 50 years old this year, is such an important law. And it's just being weakened by oil and gas, the politicians that own them, agriculture, plastic, these huge cargo ships that bring us our Amazon goods as fast as possible from China are wiping out whales. It, it, it's just like we, we are really going backwards. Things are really bad. You said that the pandemic kind of led you to writing and talk to me a little bit about that. What, what was going on? You were, you were an advocate. You sounds like you were a lobbyist doing your part to make the world a better place. We're on lockdown. Had you always known you wanted to write or tell me about that origin story? Uh, a few times I've picked up writing and done some short stories in the past, but I think I've always been really busy and I never really thought of myself as a creative person. And then it was during the pandemic. Okay, so let me just back up and explain to you a little bit about what these books are about, if I could do that for a second. Science fiction traditionally has a catastrophic event, right? A mushroom is out of control or a comet or a Skynet or something horrifying happens that changes everything. So the catastrophic event in the impact series is that almost every gun owner in the world turns their weapon on themselves in a terrifying 15 minutes, changes everything. The world is in complete and total chaos. Hero rises up and she has to figure out how, why, and if she could prevent more global violence. So that's pretty much the shooting. There's three books in the series. Book two is called Collision and spoiler, there's a collision in it. And it involves Kessler syndrome and it involves space pollution and the abuse of all these things that are happening in space. And I wrote this before Elon Musk and Bezos did their competition to get into space. And of course, we could talk about what Shatner really said when he did a few minutes, because what he said was pretty amazing when he came back. But then the third book is called Judgment. And it's about who's being judged. Why are people being judged? So it's a traditional science fiction story getting into catastrophic events and it's but it intertwines all these issues. And the reason I say this is because there were so many mass shootings going on before the pandemic. And I would be at all these protests, March for Our Lives. I was just very passionate about how much I hate guns and I hate gun violence. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, gun violence, there's also a, the, the roots of the pandemic um, is exploitation and abuse of animals, putting them in unhygienic, horrifying markets we do it here in the u.s and factory farms then they get unwell and then they 
they're up, their immune systems go down and viruses start jumping around. And if you put species the next to species that shouldn't be near each other, you could have viruses jump. And when it jumps to a human, you've got a pandemic, right? And I know people are still talking about the lab. That will be eliminated. It's That's a conspiracy theory thing. That's just ridiculous. Because we have had so many other ones, SARS, MERS, AIDS, and H1N1. So there's these pandemics, these viruses that jump from animal to animal and then it's horrifying to human are coming more and more often. So it's a big part of being an advocate for wildlife. So here I am in the pandemic, sitting there twiddling my thumbs going, we've been warning you guys about this. We've been warning people about this and nobody listens. And now we are like living in this. And then there was still gun violence. And then there was Black Lives Matter. And I was going down to DC. I was protesting every single day. So there's all this stuff. So I had all this angst and I just wrote these books. So I was like, as an advocate, as an environmentalist, people aren't really listening. So I'm going to try this other angle. And it's not necessarily entertaining, though they are. The books are really suspenseful. People say they read them in just a few hours. They can't put them down. And it, so it sounds crass to say entertaining, but maybe this way, people will listen to the fact that all of this stuff is related. The things we think make us safe don't make us safe. The things that do make us safe, we do not value or undervalue. That pollution at every level from the way we treat animals to water, to air, to climate change, to space is harming us. And it makes a few people really rich, but that should not be acceptable. So yeah, then all of a sudden the books just poured out and uh, I had this series. <laughs> I, I I think that's an interesting premise. And there's a long tradition of using fiction to try to raise awareness whether it's music, poetry, literature, films. So yeah, good for you. So you had this, this desire to do your part of lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness. Did you know the story right offhand? Did, were you pretty sure you had a beginning, middle, and end? How, talk to me a little about your writing process, CK. Yeah, that was just weird. The story poured out so fast. And all of a sudden, I could see it. I could see the characters. I could see how everything was happening. I could see a natural ending because I was like, the books are going to be too big. Then I'm going to I'm gonna just do this. And I'm going to put these stories. And sometimes the characters and the action would be happening so fast that I would get like frustrated. Like there's like in the book talk world and other worlds, they talk about planners and pantsers. Like, do you write by the seat of your pants or do you plan and do outlines? No, that was a total seat of my pants. And then when it was done, I had to go back up because science fiction, you have to be very specific, right? Because there's certain people will read it just for the entertainment. And some people are like, they want to see if your science holds up. And, and I have to say a lot of it was totally true and well-researched at the time I wrote those, but so many things changed. And also some of it was like purely from my imagination and it has come to happen, right? But that's science fiction. Like people almost expect that, right? It to be so real yes. world that it could happen. And, and I did a ton of research on gun violence and I did a ton of research on Kessler syndrome. And I grew up in Florida, not far from Kennedy Space Center. So I feel like I had this kind of affinity for what was going on in the space industry as well as government, NASA. Yeah, it was... It, weird and also really it was like this outpouring of total creativity that I just it was pretty amazing did and it became three books yeah <laughs> you're talking about this and I I lost my place now I'll have to remember to edit this out yeah the did you know it would be a trilogy 
I think when I first started, no, but then I saw how I, the first book and they all three have not the third one, but they have cliffhangers. And I wrote them like that. Like, I think too, without even consciously thinking about it, the books are not that long. They're only like 200 pages, 250 pages, which is not long for science fiction. And there is a clear cliffhanger. So I feel like I almost wrote them with the mentality of the pandemic without consciously thinking about it. I think a lot of our attention spans got shorter. We got edgier about things. So they were without, again, consciously thinking about it. I think they're like pandemic books. Right. And I think our our attention spans were shorter because we were just hyper stressed out. Whatever we were doing, there was also this other level of stress behind us. What about our parents? What about this? What about that? Especially those first six months where we weren't totally sure how it transmitted. So they definitely have a lot of that edginess to them. And then I think, yeah, at some point I knew it was going to be a trilogy. The third book took a little bit longer to write because like I said, I had to go back and make sure everything made logical sense and the flow was correct. So you included your passion for the environmental work and doing, trying to take care of ourselves. Was your love of music anywhere involved in the book? It's funny, like there's the, one of the characters has to go someplace or in the car a long time and they have a discussion about listening to music on the radio. And I was like, totally, that was a complete flashback to childhood where you don't know what the next song is going to be and you might love it or you can discuss it. And I know nowadays everyone has like specific playlists or they go on Spotify and we all have like, even when I yell at Alexa, she plays what I want to hear. But there's something right. cool right, about old school radio and being presented with things. Oh, I was going to funny. I was going to tell you an MTV story. So remind me to do that. Yes. But so with music, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about music. They sing, but it's not necessarily cheerful. It's like a way for them to get rid of their stress as well. Yeah, I, I just had a Marine that is recently he's going to no lot he's going to retire from the Marines. And he talked sharing stories about how music had helped them fight through stress so much. So I think that is a very well use of the music. What's next for you, CK? You've gotten your trilogy. You're going, what's next for you creatively? So the shooting was published in March, 2022. The collision was published in September of 2023. And The Judgment was published in March of 2024, just a few months ago. And in that time, I wrote another book called The Aftermath. So it's five years after the shooting. So it's what is the world like? Is it dystopian? Is it, what is it like? And a lot of it came from ideas because people would just say things to me like, what about this? And what about that? And I was like, oh, wow, I can do another book just answering these questions the way I envision it. So that one will be published in March of 2024. So it just started the process. So it's going to take several months. But then, and then I was like, after that, I was thinking, wow, what about, what could we have done differently? What could have changed to prevent this from happening? So I'm working on a prequel, which is, it's just, anyway, the whole world that I'm creating, I love it. And I think I just don't want to let it go. And I just keep having all these different ideas. So as long as my publisher likes them and people like them, I'm going to keep writing them for now. All right. So I'm going to, we're going to go back to music for a minute, but plug us. Where do we find your books? Where's the best way? They are available anywhere. Books are sold in every format. Audio, Kindle, paperback, hardback, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, libraries. If they're not in your library, request them. You can Reach me at www.ckwestbrook.com, which is my website, and it has all the places I'll be signing and being, and it's got my blog, and it'll have the 
books coming out and uh, where you can buy them. And then, of course, I'm on all of the socials, X, Insta, TikTok, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> As you were doing research, what surprised you about all the gun violence or if anything surprised you? Yeah, there's some facts in there that kind of blew me out of the water, which I researched in there in the book. One of them is how many dogs shoot their owners each year in the United States. That's, I did not realize was a thing. It's around four on average each year. Most of the time it's in Florida. So the, and it's, and people always say, why on earth would a dog shoot their owner? And I'm like, because they step on the gun because the gun is on the front seat of the car or it's on the couch. So the dog doesn't mean to kill its owner, but it's just, this is to me like, indicative of how dangerous guns are. They are not a toy. It's just, I think we're just so flippant in our society about something that is so deadly. I will say too, that a lot of the, the gun debate, both sides, all sides are intertwined through the characters throughout the entire book and the series. And one of the things was when I wrote these, gun violence was not the number one killer of, of Americans under the age of 18. It's now the leading cause of death for children in America. There was a article the other day that said that one in 47 children that went to school in the 22-23 school year went to school with a child that had a gun at school. It's become so common. The principals in the schools are now getting the guns and not even telling the parents. What was it? There was like 30 kids under the age of 10 brought guns to school to scare and kill people. We need to back up and do an evaluation of society. So it was horrible when I was writing these books. And I think it's just gotten worse. Yeah. So what frustrates me is we're not even trying to figure out a problem. One of my favorite Simpsons quotes is we've tried nothing and we're all out of options. And I just, <laughs> it, there's smarter people than me and we should all agree children being shot is a bad thing that's not a controversial statement right I, that's i'm not saying anything about people's right to own guns or anything else i'm just saying it's a bad thing that children get shot so what can we what let's get smart people together and figure out how we can eliminate that risk and the media it's like oh any solution you have i'm going to tell you why it won't work or I'm going to do, no, you want to do this? And versus, okay, I'm not saying there's a magic bullet, to use a bad pun. There isn't a magic wand, but we doing nothing is not an option, but that's what we're doing. We're just like, yep, it's really sad. Pears and tots, as they talk about, right? And just, once again, that bothers me. Okay, when and we- I, I would add, add to that frustration that- Often people will like, well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not even saying, I have no power. No one's telling you what to do. We should just be, step up as adults and just do this. It's the same thing in the environmental world. I'm like, how about we just take all these billions that we're spending everywhere and just put solar panels on every single roof? And people are like, oh, we can't do that because of blah, 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 blah. What if you don't want it on your roof? Okay, everyone that wants some on their roof. Okay, like we don't, and then just try it. Let's just, yeah. and, and let's evaluate a year from now. How much have we cut our CO2 emissions? How about everyone compost? How about we make it super easy to compost? Now, again, not telling you you have to compost because the minute you tell an American what to do, their back goes up. Right. But just, just step up without having it to be us versus them 
and somehow about hate and and I know why no problems are solved because somebody's getting rich and that rich person buys a bunch of other people it's almost like going back to the kings and queens days and dictatorships it's all about the same mentality but it is extremely frustrating with guns it's just it's insanity we are at a point of complete and total insanity in this country yeah where we can't even we can't even do a study because it is, and yeah, I love that idea about solar panels. Okay, let's just try it, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make this, let's see this. I I remember Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller talked about, okay, let's even say that global warming is bullshit. Let's just, I'm going to give that away. It's total bullshit. But wouldn't you like for us to have cleaner air? Isn't cleaner water a good thing okay let's just that is an end Wait, in itself I, I can go one step further and say i've had solar panels for 15 years on my roof i don't pay electricity bills so i'm saving so much money sometimes on facebook i just flash up hey i have to save ten thousand dollars wouldn't you like to save that kind of money people back i don't i mean it's they they just make a decision in their mind and yeah. you're like these are economic. These are very like, and yes, absolutely. It's it's so much better for the environment in so many ways. And it makes you like so much more independent from utilities, which you think people would relish that as well. And, and I love your thought, right? Because I'm sitting here in Dallas, Texas. It's, we had 60, maybe even 75 days where we were 100 and degrees higher. It went forever without rain. And I have no idea how to get solar panels. It seems like there would be a, hey, we made it very, we made it very easy that all you got to go to this website and we will send you free COVID testing. It was just so easy. You got two free tests. When after 9-11 and we had the, the scare of the poison everywhere, right? All of a sudden, you couldn't have a knife on an airplane and you couldn't have sweetener because, oh my God. So we made that change immediately. And, but we can't change something with a child getting killed or we can't make where a government website goes, yeah, if you're interested in solar panning, come here, put your name and we will work with you. And we'll tell you, this is your cost, initial cost, or guess what? We'll just whatever the right math is. I don't know what the math is, but it just, it, it almost like half, seems too half of easy. Americans, most of, a lot of people lease them. So it's yeah. not even a hassle. You just lease them. You don't necessarily get the check. You don't get the SREP, but yeah. you don't pay anything. So there's all these different ways. And yeah, they, everything is made super complicated because the utility companies and oil and gas own our politicians at every single level. Yeah. We need to overturn Citizens United. Like that that went through from the Supreme Court, I think it was like in 2004, 2005. Yeah. And it took a few years for the corporations to totally realize the gift that they were given and that corporations and money equal a vote. And yes. it just changed everything. And I, don't, I, I still think people are in denial about how horrifying that has been on our country. The gun industry makes a ton of money. They are not allowed to be sued. They're one of the only industries protected from responsibility for their actions. It, and it's the same with oil and gas companies. If somebody dies, the taxpayers, we pay for their funerals. They've, they've, they, they, they control the tax codes so much. They control their own subsidies that are billions and trillions of dollars. If anything goes wrong, we, the taxpayers, pay for it. It's 
the system is completely corrupt. And going back to hypocrisy, the Democrats, even a good Democrat, will talk out of one side of their mouth and then do something. They know how to make people happy to say the words that they need to hear. And then they go and do something that's horrible. So it's really frustrating. From guns to the environment. And again, space. All right. So we are going to have this huge explosions in space. Or one scientist put it this way. It's like being on a highway at rush hour traffic with in a snowstorm with no speed limits and no rules. And people are just going crazy up there. And there's going to be some major accidents and whether or not it's with tourists and people, but the saddle, it's just pure chaos. And it's because again, the rich people are controlling it and they like chaos because then no one knows what they're up to. Yeah, you, Can we just you, talk about Shatner for one second? Yes, you know, I was going to say. Right? You, yeah. He went to space and he goes right. up there yeah. and he comes down and they are interviewing him and he's saying all these things that I think he went for Bezos. Bezos wanted him to say how amazing the trip was, how it changed his life, all these things. But he also went on to say that he looked into space in this dark, empty, terrifying, no air, no animals, no water, no life. And then look back at Earth and was like, oh, my God, let's go back and save it. We need to save that blue marble immediately. And he said he never felt that so intensely to come back and be an environmentalist and advocate for it. But they always cut him off because Bezos and and Musk don't want that message, um, which was a pretty powerful message. And I wish Shatner's doing the best he can to get it out. But I wish there was more about the epiphany. And that guy, he totally loves space. His career got started from Star Trek. Yeah. He's got a reputation for being respectful of space. And for him to be that concerned, I feel like that should have just been magnified. I absolutely agree, CK. This is great. We've just gone a little bit everywhere, and I've loved this. (laughs) I I love visiting with you. When the new series comes out, you got to come back, okay? When the new book comes out. All right. All right. So once again, before I ask you the Mary question, tell my listeners where to go to find the books and where to find more from you. Books are available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, every bookstore, every format, audio, Kindle, whatever way you like to read, paperback, hardback. My website is www.ckwestbrook.com. And that has all the locations for buying the books as well as my blog and my newsletter if you want to sign up for that and you can follow what's going on and see where I'll be. And that's fun. And then I'm on Instagram, Facebook, X, TikTok, and it's all CK Westbrook author or C.K. Westbrook. So if you plug in, if it doesn't come up immediately with C.K. Westbrook, because some of them, like, you have to put the author in until they're horrible, until I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on with social media? But for right now, today, I'm on all the platforms. Yeah, I'm that way. The shooting, the Impact Series, book one is a good place to start. And this was great. All right. So I end every podcast with the Mary question. And Jay Armstrong, speaking of new books, Jay has a new book out on November 1st, a nonfiction talking about his life facing a incurable disease. But when he was a high school teacher, he would give the lyrics to Thunder Road to all his students in their honors English class, and they would read it as if it was a poem, and they would discuss the imagery Bruce paints and the the word choices and the themes. And then he would just ask the class at the end of the their session, does Mary get in the car? So CK, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? If I was Mary, I would fly across that porch and jump in that car so fast. So I do need to say that my my thoughts and opinions might be overlaying the logic because that's what I would do if I was Mary. 
So I would hope she did that. Though I do understand that the last words or I'm pulling out of here a winner. or I, Yeah, I'm pulling win. out of here to win. Yes. And it doesn't say we, so you don't really totally know what happens. And then some of the parts where, you know, but I feel like where he talked, they say like other boys and her experiences and it's, did she let those boys down or did they let her down? Or was she waiting for this great adventure, which is what I feel like Bruce in that car represents. I would just say she, I would say, yes, she got in that car because that's what I would want her to do. (laughs) I love it. That is a great answer. Very nice. CK, thank you so much for spending time with me. I can't wait to check out the book. I'm going to, I'm looking forward to hearing about it, reading about it. It sounds like it's a entertaining read and it's always nice to have a message. So thank you so much for your time. Any final thoughts you want to share? Just thank you for being like allowing me to be on your show. This has been awesome. And I'm definitely going to read that book about Nebraska. Like why it came booked in there. I'm so intrigued by that. So thank you very much. After you read it, if you want to read, come back and go, hey, I just want to talk about the book. We'll do a book club. I'd I'd love to have you on. Okay. Yes. Yes. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Good. All right. Listeners, go check out the website. Go sign up for her blog and her newsletter. Check out one of the books. Tell her that you heard about on Set Lusting Bruce. For now, I want you to be safe. I want you to be kind. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.